With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Kurt Buck down, baby. Oh my gosh, that was freaking awesome. This is my first public land buck. This is my second set of the season. I can't even... Oh my gosh, I just heard him fall. I just heard him fall. Uh, I just shot my Kentucky buck. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. What's going on, guys? And tonight we are joined by Cameron Freed. Cameron, how's it going? How you doing, guys? Doing well, doing well. So uh, we're having Cameron on tonight to talk a little bit about my favorite subject on the whole face of the earth, <laughs> archery. <laughs> oh. uh, but in all seriousness, we're, ha- we're having Cameron come on uh, because... Uh, it's getting into uh, uh, competition season, and it just it's it's good knowledge to have uh, as hunting time ty- uh, starts to die down, and you still need to be shooting your bow. You still need to be out doing this kind of stuff. So, uh, Cameron is uh, quite the accomplished archer, but I'll let uh, Cameron talk a little bit more about that. So, can you give us a little bit about your background? Uh, history and shooting history and hunting just in the outdoors in general yep so uh i started probably when i was 10 years old i started bow hunting and everything like that uh started shooting a bow my dad bought me my first bow for christmas when i was probably 10 and i uh, went out hunting with him and everything like that and things started progressing as i got older and started uh getting into some local 3d shoots and everything like that and things were you know kind of rolling easy for me to be honest with you i mean I was shooting her class and it'd be nothing for me to go out and buy, uh, keep them all in the 10 ring, you know, and things started escalating and started getting pretty good at it. And things went down the hill. I started shooting some state local stuff and did uh, really good at it. Won, won a few things state locally and everything. And then never thought I'd, you know, travel, drive 12, 13 hours to shoot my bow. But here I am, you know, 20 years later and going to national ASAs and really have not much to do on the state level because I just prepped for the national ASAs, but, uh, shot myself out of hunter class probably, Oh, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And, uh, now I've been rolling with long bars in the archery. What'd you say, Chris? 2018 to be precise. If we're talking IBO. Yeah. So I only shot IBO the one year, uh, kind of got out of IBO, started moving over to ASA. I think it's a little more of a game to myself there's nothing wrong with ibo i love shooting any kind of 3d but uh went to the known game and uh i like that high risk high reward game if you make a bad shot you're going to pay for it versus if you're aiming at a center 11 you got a lot of he's six and three inches of grace around the outside but aiming at a 12 that's offset in the 10 ring you know 
the size of yeah. a nickel, maybe a little bit bigger. You know, it's a high risk, high reward game. And, you know, the I, I really like the McKenzie targets. And the reason I like the McKenzie targets is everything is the same across the board, 100% on the McKenzie target. If there's a dot on that target, it is going to be on that target no matter where you go if it is a McKenzie target. And, uh, yeah, that that that's huge when you're learning the targets and aiming and everything like that and reference areas. Uh, but like I said, you know, there's nothing wrong with IBO and everything like that. Just kind of family a game around and kind of got out of the judging game and everything like that. And, you know, just kind of stuck with ASA and kind of went from there and shoot a little bit of indoor here and there. Like I said, I'm prepping for Vegas, uh, not Vegas, but uh, Lancaster next weekend. And uh, we'll see where that takes me. But I'm really looking forward to going to full Alabama at the end of February. I'll bet. Um, that's something I've even talked about doing just because I could take my wife and kids with me and have a little beach vacay in the process. Yes. Um, and I was, I was wrong about that. You shot yourself out in 2019. That was when you won, uh, the indoor worlds. Um, you beat my ass at, uh, the state shoot, um, in 2018, uh, down here in Southern Ohio, I was going to go and I was going to go and win me a state title and some dude shows up and out shoots me by like, I want to say <laughs> seven X's or something on probably the toughest course I'd seen to that point. A lot of targets back in the, the dark and you're shooting in the yeah. sun and I was, there's no way, no way. He shot 13. I think you shot 13 up. I might, am I right about you know, that? Do you you know what the, I, I do not remember, but you know what I do remember the most is I shot a five on that stinking Turkey up the hill in the dark. That and that was like the only time I left the 10 ring. And I was so yep. mad about that. And I went on a war path for like the final seven targets because I thought it was over. At that point, yep. I was like, man, you just you you screwed up bad, man. <laughs> you one shot and yep. It ended up yeah, you, but you made it up. So so for our listeners, uh, can you tell the difference between IBO and ASA and what uh competitions uh what the differences in competition are, what the differences in targets are, and just if you have to if you use personally different setups different arrows anything along those lines yeah so ibo is uh it's all um reinhardt targets if i'm not mistaken anymore and uh, they have a the vital ring is what they call it's in the basically the middle of the section of the animal whatever it may be it basically covers that whole area anywhere where you call a vital shot basically the long outline is considered an eight and then there's about a six inch circle right behind the shoulder is what I would call a center punch if you were hunting. Uh, that's probably six inches in diameter, five inches in diameter, depending on the animal. It's pretty reference size to the animal. Um, and then usually 25% of that 10 ring is what they call an 11 ring. And uh, you get that bonus point if you hit that smaller ring, whatever it may be. You know, sometimes on turkeys, they're the size of your pinky and they put them out there 50 yards. And then other times, you know, if you get an elk, they're a two-inch dot at 50 yards. Or, you know, if somebody really wants to mess with you, they can turn it at an angle or anything else. I mean, angles have a lot to do with it. You can you can take a two-inch dot and turn it into a one-inch dot real quick by quartering toward or quartering away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's going to affect your point of impact on when you aim. That is probably the hardest thing to trust is on an angled target to aim off of an 11-ring or a 12-ring knowing you're going to hit the opposite way. And it took a long time to learn how to trust to do that. Um, so IBO, you know, you aim pretty center 10. 
um, ASA has created a system where they have two 12 rings now. Um, one is uh, the, what they call the lower. It is always in play. It is at probably 7 o'clock. It's always to the back of the animal, always, but it's uh, at what touches the edge of the 10 ring. So basically it's offset inside that 10 ring. And then they also have one at you know opposite of that, so towards the head of the animal on the top of that ten ring, and they're both usually every animal on the uh, ASA the rings are always the same size, whether it be a turkey, a deer, whatever it may be. Um, but that the t- upper is always you have to call it um, in order to hit it. But a lot of guys, you know, there's a lot of guys now they're playing all uppers and they'll just say at the beginning of the match. I'm all uppers and they call lowers and they count that as a okay in terms of calling it out and everything like that. So that's kind of the main difference is where you're aiming reference points. Um, ASA is all McKinney targets. Like I said, they're a little more, they're a little more uh, detailed in terms of making sure every single one when they leave the factory is the same. So the dot will always be in the same place, no matter what you shoot. You know, the Javelina has always got a two white dashes just to the right on the left side of the upper 12. And it's always got one dash at one o'clock of the um, lower twelve. It's just kind of a reference. And then you got cheetahs, and you got to play the dots on the cheetahs and everything like that. And no matter how much you study it, you can still get lost in it once you get in your scope. I mean, there's okay. times I've thought I nailed a shot, and uh, man, it was so irritating. You know, hit the dot and that, and you have to eight. And that's like the worst thing on the face of the earth. <laughs> so, <laughs> man. You ever done that, Chris? You ever you ever aimed at an eight? I have I have done that. I I have picked a spot, and it's funny you say that. It's that I don't know if it's a cheetah or leopard or jaguar or whatever the hell it is in the IBO, but literally what you said, like you're in my soul right now with this pick in the dot thing. I'm having PTSD over it because I'm like, okay, Yeah. yeah, 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 that's the dot. Okay. Okay, I can see it, and then I hit it, and then I walk yep. up and I hung an eight, whatever, and I just follow deer. The follow deer was the worst. The follow deer. Yep. One side though, because the other side was different. Um, there was one exactly. side that I. Yeah, there's one side. If I saw him facing, you know, a certain way, I'm like, okay, you know, we're gonna smoke your ass. Yep. The other <laughs> side. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Um. With the IBO and the ASA, uh, what class do you shoot right now in the ASA? So uh, probably, okay, okay, so last year was the first year I shot uh, semi-pro, known K50. So I have a 50-yard max, um, known yardage. I shoot the same exact <clears> – basically when the pros are walking off, we shoot the same exact – courses as the pros so i passed the pros we're waiting on the pros to get done when we walk on um i started in the asa oh man probably three four years ago um and started in the k45 and only shot probably london kentucky and metropolis was the first year i traveled nationally in london kentucky i went and i didn't shoot very well at all that was like the slap in the face was like i gotta change my game completely for this yeah, well, London's very dark. I'm not sure if you ever heard of like PJ Riley and all them on their podcast. London is literally they call they call it the power lines, and you literally have a row of power lines at the fairgrounds, and it's probably a uh, 
I don't know, probably a hundred yards wide. And all it is is nothing but hills and you're shooting across hills. You're not shooting up and down and it's literally woods on both sides and they cut tunnels in them woods. So you're shooting with sunlight behind you into dark areas and it oh, is the hardest. Jesus it is Pete. the hardest. Yeah, it is hard. <clears throat> There's guys who will change lenses on the fly. There's guys who will shoot no lenses there. It is insanely hard. And so I went there the first year I shot ASA, and that was probably 2019, I'm going to say. And I didn't shoot. I shot okay. I won some money. But, I mean, I won in the top 20% of the K45 class. But then I came home, and I'm telling you what, I started messing with arrows and started tinkering, and I was on a warpath. Like, I had my Tropics, Illinois, on my second one, shot the K40, 45 class, never shot the K40. There is a K40, known 40, and uh, shot the K45 and shot clean with uh, 20... 2212. I was 24 up or 20 28 up after day one and walked out after I was in I was tied for first and walked out day two. And uh, I don't know if you know the name Remington Boyer. Um, but he's a pro now that shoots for Matthews. And oh. I thought I missed him by he beat me by four and I was clean with like 44 up and I took second place. And I was tickled pink, but Jeez. I'll tell you what, man, that, that was like, man. And then I just went into K50 first year and shot good. Just, you know, did the average all right and just started tinkering. I've changed a lot of stuff. I no longer shoot a hinge. I shoot a thumb button and just, really? you know, I've been tinkering. Ever, oh, yeah. I got to talk about this because everybody oh goes God. from a thumb button to a hinge. So yep. tell me why you went to the thumb button. So I went to the thumb button. If you have target panic, you should not pick up a button no matter what. And if <laughs> some, for somebody who doesn't, yeah, I tell everybody, you do not touch a button. So one day uh, I shot a hinge for many, many years. I shot the Scott Halo. Couldn't put it down no matter what I switched to. I always picked it back up. It was called Old Faithful. It was always in my pack. No matter whether I tried shooting a click or what, it just it fit my hand the best. And uh, I uh, just one day, I don't know, I, I I said I like my hand swept back a little bit more and the tree ball came out with that goat and uh, it's got a hook and I just, I set it up and came to full draw and I was like, wow, there's a lot, you know, because when you're, you're using a hinge, you're going to have movement. Any movement, anytime you have movement in the back end, it is going to get expressed into your bow, no matter what. So mm -hmm. I've, I kind of just, you know, had a mental talk with myself one day and was like, you're an idiot. If you can put a laser on a hand handgun and you can hold it in the center of an act, say center of a target and you can squeeze the trigger. Why can't you do that with your bow? And one day it was just like, squeeze the trigger, execute the shot and whatever happens happens. And one day it just kind of clicked. And, uh, I went from the hinge, went to that, uh, thumb button came to full draw. The pin moved less. That was a big thing, which also helps you execute less movement. You aren't going to get that target panic in your head because no matter what, I don't care. And Levi, and uh, I'm sure you guys have heard the name Levi Morgan. Yeah. Even Levi Morgan, he even he said, you know, to this day, he can't. If you shoot a light button, um, he's got a series of videos on how to can conquer target panic. And uh, he said, even to this day, you know, he fights target panic. If he sees movement, he fights target panic because you can't execute the shot. 
Right. And you got, I mean, you got to trust it. You got to trust the movement. And it's, it's a great set of videos for guys to learn and everything like that. But it just kind of went to the thumb button, less movement. And I thought it was a little more forgiving. And I've uh, been shooting that now for probably three years. Picked up a true ball uh, pro blade for my hunting bow because it's got the closed jaw. I can leave it hang on my bow. And, you know, I can still shoot a hinge this day. But I'm telling you what, I've that pin movement is so crazy when I come back with, with when I try and execute with a hinge just because of the movement on the back end. So I was struggling for a little while. Um executing my shot uh not so much with a hinge but just by simply pulling through rather than applying a little pressure to the trigger and i've noticed that since i have essentially i don't move my thumb i don't know what you do and i want to get into that a little bit i never move my thumb but i do apply pressure to my ring finger it's just the slightest amount as I pull through, and then when I do that, I flex my shoulder blades, and it's gone. Um, when I was just when I wasn't doing anything here though at all, it just seemed like it took forever to break the shot. And then, you know, your shot breaks down. You're in pen float, figure eight, and all yep. over the place. So I want my so, shot to break within the first five seconds of being a full draw, especially when I have no pressure on me, because if full, you're holding it. The, you you cannot hold i don't care who you are if you're the best archer in the world you are not going to be able to hold that pin inside on what you're aiming at forever if you're sitting back there at full draw for eight ten seconds five seconds to me is just the ideal time that i have the less movement if a shot breaks within four to five seconds on me usually that's a good shot if i go a little long usually it can be an okay shot but i'm telling you right now if you watch guys if they sit there at full draw for a long time usually their shot's not going to land. I mean, I've, I've seen some pros like Chance Bobeff and everything. They, you know, he's he's probably the longest holding archer I've ever seen, and watching him is just absolutely amazing because he literally can hold for like 10, 12 seconds, and it doesn't bother him. But as soon as I start seeing that pin movement, the shot's broke down already. You might as well let down and reset. Yeah, mm, so yeah. when you say full draw, when your string hits the stops or when you're at anchor? I'm sorry, why'd you ask you cut out? So when you said I like my shot to break in about five seconds after I reach full draw, do you consider full draw when your string hits the stops, when your cable hits the stops, or do you consider full draw when you're at anchor, when you come to anchor? So that's a very difficult question for me to answer because I guess it would be from the moment that I take my last breath because I take my last breath once I reach full draw, I get on target immediately. My thumb is already on the barrel at that point, and it's one last breath, whether it be exhale or inhale. doesn't matter which way you want to do, and some people do a half breath, whatever it may be. But if as soon as you get on target, man, you got to start executing. You got to get that trigger starting to go, and you got to, you know, uh, Joel Turner, I'm not sure if you know who Brody is, but he – Brody won Vegas last year. He was like a 15 years old and he is probably the best mental coach out there. Just from watching some of the stuff he said, you know, trust the movement, no matter what you have to shoot that shot and you have to shoot the shot. That shot's not going to shoot itself. You have to execute the shot or it never stands a chance. Right. Damn. So yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, 
I almost put on my bow NMW on the back of the riser, no matter what. Because if there's times I come back and I'll sit there at full draw, and I'm sure you've done this too, I'll just find myself sitting there watching the pin and nothing is happening. And yeah. it's like, and then I let down and I'm like, you idiot, just be aggressive and execute the shot. And sometimes the next shot goes off so fast. It's yeah. like almost like scary, yep. but you kind of got to, you know, be aggressive and trust the float. And if you trust it and you stare at the center and forget the pin, oh, dude, nine times out of 10, it'll hit there. It's crazy. The other part that cracks me up too is what you just said, where you kind of get a little pissed and you're like, okay, this shot's going to break. And yeah. you, you know, stand up, push your chest out, whole nine, right? And you start to pull through and all the shot all of a sudden, like the timing's just a little off and it went off pretty quick. You're like, oh shit. I hope that's in the I, I hope that's where yeah. it should be. <laughs> yeah. For me, timing is 90% of my shot. I want the pin to sit there for so long and then I want the boom. I want it to come down and basically in my head, it's it's crazy because in my head, I know when it should break. It's like it come down, set, let's say a Vegas style, I sit in the center and it sits there, sits there, boom. And if it goes long, it's like, go, 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 right. go. And then if I find myself starting to shake, it's like, you might as well let down because you're already beat. As soon as you start, as, as soon as you question the shot, the shot, you're beat. You're, What's you're, the, you're shooting the shot. I agree. Uh, what is the letdown rule in ASA? So ASA, you get two letdowns and the third time it must go. Okay. So same as IBO then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep the ball rolling. Uh, you know, and, uh, like Lancaster, I think they give you two minutes to shoot three shots. I think. Okay. If I remember right. Okay. So um, now you talked about doing a little bit of tinkering changing some things can we dive into that a little bit oh yeah now we're going down the downward spiral <laughs> so uh just so everybody's aware uh yeah. Our, my, yeah, i was my, gonna say clarify <laughs> my intention is to actually just do a series on this with you so we can pick a couple things and nerd the hell out on that and then we can come back two weeks later or a month later or whatever we can make work and do it again because, well, as we've clearly shown before, you and I could talk about archery for hours. So, yeah. and I enjoy it. So we can always give Rick the option to not have to listen to us <laughs> talk about speak Spanish. In front of him. Um, yeah. But uh, tell us about a couple of things that you feel like really changed the game for you. Um, you know, as far as tinkering, tuning, things like that. Well, first, you got to have the disclaimer because there's always going to be people that disagree with me on what I've done and everything like that. And I know, you know, I've gone an opposite way of uh, like Tim Gillingham's one. He would probably not agree with probably 50% of the things that I've done. But then you have Levi Morgan, who pretty much runs the same setup as me. So, I mean, both, and both are very successful. So there's multiple ways to skin a cat. I'm just going to tell you what has worked for me. Um, so... I went, um, so obviously spine of arrow, you got to start with spine arrow. When you're building an arrow, you got to do the spine. But the biggest thing is for me is how much point weight are you going to put up on front of that arrow? Okay. So, cause you can either break the spine down too much and you can build it back up or you are going to be too light in the front and it's going to be like throwing a pebble versus a rock. So 
it's kind of one of them things you got to find the happy median. So the way, best way I describe it is it's like a, uh, you know, pushing a car versus a truck when it breaks down, you can get that car rolling pretty easily and, you know, you can keep it rolling, but you know, the, the truck is really hard to get going, which is also, you know, it takes a lot of force to get it going. So if you have a lot of point weight on the front of your arrow, you're going to need to spine up or put some weight on the back of that arrow to get, you know, basically a parachute on the back. So I run pretty much a four fletch across the board anymore, pretty much on every single arrow that I shoot. Um, but then again, you got to be careful because like I had a buddy who just messaged me the other day and he said, you know, I put this four fletch on and uh, he goes, I am getting flyers like crazy. And I said, well, what are they? And he said, I put boning blazers on. Well, that's a very soft plastic fletching. That's going to catch a lot of wind. And it's basically going to be putting a parachute on the back of your arrow. So steering from the back is going to affect you downrange very much so left and right. you got to get a lot of point weight up front. I personally cannot shoot a micro diameter arrow because of the outsert systems. I can't run an arrow. I have a 31 and a quarter, 31 and a half inch draw. So I cannot run 140 grains up front and stabilize that arrow to shoot a fixed blade broadhead. I can get away with it with like rages and, you know, I switched, I shot thorns last year, but in terms of getting the arrow to stay spined up enough, I can shoot 30 yards just fine. But if you're talking 60, 70 yards, I'm lucky to keep it in the vitals. I mean, it it just wants to fly it because the arrow is just flexing so much to get that 140 grains to start going. You're taking a lot of force to get that, and you're flexing that arrow like crazy. You know, I, I, I said, I'm not sure if you remember this last year. I just did a top trial run. I was bored. You remember that uh, fletching, I, that pierce I sent you with six fletchings on the back? Yes. I, I shot that thing at 50 yards, and I'm sure it was slow as heck, man. It probably was. But I shot a two-inch group without even tuning that arrow. But, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, six fletchings, it, it, was, it was a pain. It was a pain to fletch. I mean, they were, but um, <laughs> it was, it was a very big pain. So I'm actually switching this year to a, uh, I'm probably going to shoot a standard. I, I shot the, uh, the gold tip pierces this year, a micro diameter, and I used the thorn glue in broadhead. So I only ran 120 grains up front with a four fletch, um, three inch tack vein with a three degree left helical. And we'll get into why it was a left helical here in a little bit, but that's going down another spiral. And then flew <laughs> really good for me because I don't know if you know the thorns, but basically that's just a big field point up there. Yeah. And, yeah. Is and it? Yeah. Oh, it yeah. It is. It is the first completely contained. Tim Gillingham was real big on it because he was kind of struggling too. The first completely blade contained point. It's basically a two inch shank. That sticks off your arrow and glues right into your arrow. Huh. So you can shoot a micro diameter and it, they have a two point inch cutting diameter. So them blades, man, redeploy, rear deploy. I like a rear deployment broadhead. That's just, mm-hmm. you know, oh. we've talked about that. You get one. How big? And you, you, um, they make a bunch of them, but it's 2.2 inches is the ones I shoot. They're like the Ooh. XTs or RFTs. Jeez. So um, I'm man. I'm actually really interested. I want to shoot a set of them afflictors, man. I really do want to try them. I've been looking at those because I like it. If you man. only get one hole and just so happens, I mean, I've I've, I've been so, kind of intrigued me. I mean, uh, so full disclosure, they sponsor us, sponsor the podcast, and everything. <laughs> but I mean, the truth is what it is, and I have not done well on penetration this year. Now 
a lot of that's been my own damn fault shooting deer in the shoulder like an idiot but i've watched him fall down <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i mean when you shoot a mature buck and he runs 32 yards and topples over in seconds i can't complain about that at all um and they I'm, 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 I'm with you on that that thorn you know i shot two deer this year shot one right a doe right through the top of the shoulder and she didn't bleed hardly at all i went right through the top of the shoulder the blade the broadhead did the job and she only yep. went 40 yards and piled yep. up but i didn't have much blood but i also went through a bone and everything else right. and she was completely full i also yep. shot my buck at Same as 25 mine. yards yeah he didn't bleed much he was dead broadside i went through hit the opposite rib and it bounced back out i didn't see much blood on the ground but i also watched him fall so what do you measure success in do you measure it in how fast they fall because if you find them it's successful but I've also had, you know, blood trails that have poured blood out of rages and they've went a hundred yards. So, right. I mean, I don't care what you shoot a deer with. If you put it in both lungs, it's going to die. Whether, I mean, I guarantee you, it's just the way it is. You can do as much destruct destruction as you want. If you don't catch vitals, it's not going to happen. I mean, right. a lot of these guys, I mean, a lot of these dogs now, I'm not sure if you've seen the stuff on Facebook where this guy posted a video um or a, a map of all the deer that he's found and not found and had all the pins on where they yep. were hit yep you hit a deer you hit a deer in the shoulder i don't <clears> care <throat> how heavy if you hit a four or five year old buck in the shoulder i don't care how how much weight on the front of that arrow you put i don't care how heavy your arrow is you ain't getting through it no especially that do you clean your own deer oh yeah okay so the ridge that runs down that shoulder yeah. Dude, you could you could have any arrow set up you want, heavy bow. I don't care. You can yep. deflect off that thing, and if you deflect the wrong way, it's over. Yep. And no matter what, it will absorb that arrow's energy, even if you deflect in the right way. Absolutely yeah. will. Absolutely there, will. There is nothing. There is nothing well, you're going to do to get through a, a big buck shoulder, no matter what. They stop slugs. <laughs> I mean, how many times did people find slugs in a five year old, six year old <clears throat> buck shoulder blade? Back in the right. day when 12 gauges were real big, you ain't going to build an arrow to get through that. And people say, I busted through the shoulder. Well, you probably busted through the shoulder, but you didn't bust through the shoulder blade. Right. I mean, you, you the back that's soft. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the dog hunters, if they hear shoulder, they pretty much, the guys who are like, not like I've listened to a podcast one time. I don't remember who it was. <laughs> if they hear the word shoulder, they're like, I'm out. I'm not even, I, I don't, well, they, they'll tell you like, it's probably not a very high risk. I'll, you know, whatever it is, 100, 150 bucks donation or whatever they charge. Um, but if you say gut shot, they're loading the dog up. I mean, yep. I'd rather hit a deer back than hit a deer forward any day. It may be a stressful long night, and no sleep, but you're going to probably find that deer, especially with a dog. And oh, now, yeah. you know, I'm sure you've seen the guy, that Yoda guy that's running the thermal drone that's finding all these deer in Southern Ohio. I'll tell you what, that's, he is a, dude, that is, that is so awesome. And, you know, yeah, it's expensive, think, but if your buck's big enough, it's worth it. Well, not only that, when you think about it, I mean, you, you can say private or public land, really, but um, you're not pressuring an area, you know, with a dog. Yeah. I love dogs. I have nothing but respect for guys that run dogs. Uh, they're amazing. There's nothing cooler than watching hounds work, no matter what you're doing. Right. But, oh yeah. Grown up and five 
that deer in five or 10 minutes and not have to track up the area and pressure it and all that, then I'm down for that. Not to mention the other thing that never gets talked about when you're tracking deer on private land, man, there's not that many parcels that are huge anymore. Yep. You're either trespassing or you're having to wait. I mean, how are you going to get a hold of somebody at midnight or 1 a.m.? And and then then we we cross the moral line of, you know, well, do I just let the deer rot or do I just go get my deer? You know, so um, it's going to be nice to have that even just at our disposal when things don't go our way. We can recover that deer. But, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's pretty neat. And I see like we all everybody's doing the same thing right like we read about this guy saw him on a video podcast whatever and now i hear everybody's buying the same damn thing i'm like damn <laughs> nobody do it down yeah. here yeah you're gonna pay the money yeah. <laughs> yeah but i mean yeah like i said i mean everybody you know you got these titanium outserts and everything like that and i'll bet you if you knew if you really really got down <clears> into <throat> the nitty-gritty and started you know basically shooting for groups you'd probably find out that an air with 200 grains in the front probably isn't flying very good anyway. You may get, you know, some some good flyers downrange and everything like that, but I'm talking, I want my hunting arrow to be able to hit in a, almost probably in a 10 ring, if not the vitals at 100. I mean, I want it to be consistent. So how much, repeat so, what you said, how much weight up front? Because you kind of cut out there. I, uh, I'm just saying, well, I run 120 with the glue in, but these guys who are running these titaniums, the titanium outserts with the broad heads and running, you know, 700 yeah. grain arrow and everything like that. I don't, this is just preference, but I, if you can remember back in the day, you know, 2000, man, early 2000s, the bows were shooting like 250 feet per second and you were shooting a muzzy 75 grain fixed head. Them, yep. de- them yep. bows zipped right through deers if you put it where it belonged. I mean, oh, you yeah. still aren't going to get yep. through the shoulder. Like, so speed isn't everything and weight to me isn't everything. Yeah, you may get a little more kinetic energy, but are you you're also sacrificing, okay, if you got to make that judge on the fly, let's say you shoot a 6 let's just throw a number out there, 650 grain arrow versus a 450 grain arrow and you got to make a quick decision on how far that deer is. I can't imagine what your pin gap is and how much more that arrow is going to drop faster and how many the way I look at it is if that deer how many feet will your arrow be able to hit that deer in the vitals? So there's probably only two feet, three feet, if you're shooting past 40, 50 yards, that that deer is going to be smoked right in the center versus if you're shooting a faster arrow, you're going to get a lot more grace and it's going to stay on plane better versus shooting a lob. Yeah, I agree. Not to mention, say it with me, pin gaps. (laughs) Pin gaps are huge. God, I remember uh, when I ran my heavier setup, that did not work out. And when you could see, it's like a damn football field in between your pins, man. Oh, yeah. um, I, that like makes me nervous right away. Um, that, that's just too much. So I agree. Now, it was interesting, though, because you kind of taught me a little bit about um, why some guys shoot a heavier arrow, you know, simply yeah. to slow bow down. Because guys like you, and I wanted to explain this to Rick and our listeners, you said you had what a 31 inch 31 inch draw i have a 31 and i measure most of the time 31 and a quarter um depending on the bow but yeah i mean 
getting and, getting that arrow to slow down. Like I can't shoot a fast arrow. If I shoot a fast arrow, I just miss faster. That's the only thing I do. It don't it don't group as good. I don't care. I've tried building arrows to shoot fast for IBO and everything like that. But for me, a heavy arrow is way more forgiving uh, with a you know a, a good amount of point weight. My ASA arrow is a twenty six diameter gold tip. Uh, um, 30x so it's right in the middle between a 27 and a 23 which is what most guys run if i was a shorter draw guy i would run a 23 but the 23s can't hold up the spine can't hold up to what i like to run so i run the 30x's spine up an arrow i run 170 grains up front with a four fletch three three inch tack vein with a three degree left helical and um the left helical thing most people probably don't realize this but most of the time, a right-handed shooter, probably 95% of the time, the arrow will spin left. And people will have fletchings that are straight or right. Not saying they won't shoot, but most of the time they spin left. If you're looking for an affordable technical gear style clothing that performs well, that cuts weight from your clothing, but not from your wallet, check out Huntworth. Whether you're hunting early season in Nebraska, mid-season in Ohio, or late season in Iowa, Huntworth has a system to keep you comfortable and focused on your hunt. With early season fast approaching, we highly recommend checking out the Durham Lightweight Hunting Pants and the Midweight Shelton Hoodie. These items paired with an appropriate base layer will perform at a high level in multiple early season conditions when fishing and hunting. So we've been on the search for a new broadhead this year, and after doing some research and kind of looking around, we found this company called Afflictor Broadheads. We got our hands on some of the heads this summer to test out, and guys, I got to tell you, I believe that this head will be in our quiver this fall. Each and every broadhead is hand-assembled in their Texas facility by people who truly care about your experience. This year, I'll be shooting the K2 Mini and the K2 Hybrid, and I got to tell you, I'm absolutely loving them. They fly great, they're extremely durable, and the penetration is just deadly. I can't express it enough. I also love the practice pin feature these guys came out with. So far, I'm really, really impressed. To learn more for yourself, check them out at afflictorbroadheads.com. So essentially, you're fighting against a spin and basically creating a knuckleball effect right yeah right so that's the biggest thing is um the eye fletch you know uh, the, and the way you find <clears> that out is is I, I told you this a while back chris is you go and build your arrow with a point and a knock and that's it and you make a line on that arrow whether it be with the you can even do it with the label of the arrow it doesn't matter and you go to three yards four yards whatever it is and you shoot a bear shaft into a target and you find out which way your arrow spins. Whatever way your arrow spins is the way you fletch your arrows. Because you're automatically naturally coming off the bow that way. So if it's wanting to spin left, why on earth would you want to make it turn right? You're just creating a knuckleball effect. And I think, if I remember right, um, I think it was Daniel Christianberry that did a slow motion video of this. And it was insane how long it took for the arrow to start spinning right when it wanted to spin left. It was probably four or five yards 
wow. versus if it was already fletched left, and you could tell by the back of the arrow, it was wanting to like it was a knuckleball effect. I it mean, was it was fighting, fighting it. itself. So if it's wanting to spin left, make it spin left. Who cares? <laughs> right. I mean, it's a natural effect. So why not just let it? Now, some people have you know say that the twist of your string is what causes it, but Paige Pierce did a video on that, and she she proved them wrong. She she uh, had like four or five arrows, and she had one out of the four or five that spun right. And wow. she thinks it's based on spines, but she said she had to look for it. But I mean, most people just you know most people go up and throw it in the Fletcher straight straight Fletch or a right Fletch or whatever because they think they're right handed right handed and that's not the case. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty much to the point anymore where I don't even even have to clock an arrow just because I know it's going to spin left. Unless I get a new arrow, I know it's going to spin left. That's just the way it is. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. Nobody, like I said, I can't come up with a theory as to why. I just know that it made a huge difference in terms of, like I said, getting rid of the knuckleball, get the arrow spinning faster, get it to stabilize as fast as possible. So when another you, thing is, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Nope. I was just going to say when you taught me that, I'd never heard about that before and I was having issues and you were messaging me, you called me and told me this and I was so stressed to do that. Because I, I mean, I just bought <clears throat> a bow for two years and then finally. And you found out the bow was dumb. Yeah, well, yeah, the bow was <laughs> It's always the bow's fault. It's always the bow's fault. You got the bow had a bad bearing. I, yeah. I didn't that. Um, but it was just super stressful because I'm like, man, is he stewed like messing with me or what? And no. I'll never forget, we barely had to do anything to the bow after we clocked these arrows and fletched them up with a left. Every single one of them spun left. We fletched them. Uh, with a left helical, nothing, nothing super severe, just a little bit to it. And dude, those things we paper tuned it. That was it. Uh, and we we did correct. Um, we did do some corrections with a bare shaft tune as well. Um, but <clears throat> from that, dude, they flew like darts. Like yeah, it's very very minimal tuning work, and I just wanted to cry. Because I thought, man, if I would have just, <laughs> why don't I know this, man? Like I could have changed my you know life. How many, you don't know how many countless hours at night I've laid in bed until uh, I watched Tim Gillingham's videos on that. On And I was like, holy crap. Like, you know, Levi Morgan was the first one who said the arrow spin left. And I got to thinking about it. And I was like, you know, why, why, why would we not want to spin now? Like you said, very minimal helical. The more helical you put on an arrow, the more parachute effect you get because it's more drag. Mm -hmm. So you got to find, you know, if you need to spine your arrow up and you got a lot of weight up front, put a five degree helical on them. Who cares? Right. If you're wanting some, but it's going to slow you down faster. Down range, it will shoot good a lot better closer range, but you get out long range and you're going to notice a big parachute start as it slows down. It's going to try and steer that arrow. Um, but like you said, when you come back to the clocking, um, so the biggest thing is when you tune your bow, you know, you fletch all the arrows and you even went as far as you said, you clocked every single arrow before you fletched it. I don't even go that far. I shoot one arrow and whatever way it turns, I fletch them. 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with double checking it all, but like I said, if it's the arrow and the spine and everything like that, right, you're gonna you're gonna be left or right. I mean, that's just the way it is. There's only two ways you can go. It's not gonna change from arrow to arrow that I would ever think. If it did, that would be pretty bizarre. But I mean, that would probably be to me. I would probably call somebody up and be like, "Hey, you owe me some arrows," but because <laughs> but uh, I, I've known guys even to go as far as. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, I'm not sure if you ever seen the water test or the flex test to find the I've spine of the arrow. I've done the water test. That's what I did the first time I started building my own arrows. I've done it. I don't really care. It's, you know, you can do it if you want, but I don't, I don't see the benefit of it. Nope. So as soon as you get your arrow built the way you want it, whatever point you're going to pick out, like I said, if you put more point weight up front, you're going to have to steer it on the back. If you got a big broad head up front, you're going to need more feathers on the back. It's the way it is. If you have, yeah. um, I got Grim Reapers were probably my favorite broadhead of all for a long time. Yeah. You know, they're, they're very, very tight broadhead. Yeah. They fly good. They doesn't take a lot to steer them. Now get into a guillotine on Turkey. What do they tell you on a guillotine on Turkey? 60 pounds max on a bow with five to six inch actual feathers. And you're not shooting it past 20 yards. Wow. You got to stabilize it. There's, I mean, I did it and I put it on one of my hunting arrows. And I think I saw the label of the arrow about 20 yards downrange because it was sideways in the air. I mean, it was wow. stupid yeah. what happened. It was scary. I didn't even hit the target. It just, <laughs> it was, it was, it was amazing, crazy. But yeah, they make kits now for them guillotines. And that's yep. what they tell you. You cannot shoot over 60 pounds. You won't shoot past 20 yards because you got to put so much drag on the back of the arrow to get it stabilized. And they come with like six inch feathers, three six inch feathers, I think. Holy crap, dude. Yeah. So, man. But anyway, going back to the clocking, back to the thing. So, the biggest thing when you're tuning your bow is, you know, when you're tuning your bow, you find one, maybe two, and you tune your bow to that arrow. Do not change arrows. You shoot the same arrow. You shoot the uh, the same way every single time. Like, you know, when guys are shooting indoors, we go as far as shoot the same arrow at every single spot every time. Because if there's one arrow that's hitting higher than the others, we want to know about it. Yeah, right. um, makes sense. But, you know, you don't really need to worry about that in terms of the hunting side and everything like that. But, you know, I, like I told you, Chris, when you set up a bow, you pick one arrow out, and that's what you paper tune with. I'm not a big fan of bear shaft tuning. Because for one, it, it, it does good for it tell you on knock height. Um, but you don't shoot a bear shaft out of your bow ever. Nah. It's just to me, it's stupid because when you bear shaft tune, um, and I've been, I've done it and it 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 worked, but my thinking is is once you put feathings fletchings on the back of that arrow, you just change the spine of the arrow anyway. Yeah. yeah. So you just improve the spine. So right. You know, there, there are some guys that shoot bear shaft, and there's some pros. What a, a lot of guys do for bear shaft is, um, so if they, what they'll do is they'll tune their bow, and then they'll shoot a bear shaft, let's say, you know, at a Vegas target at 20 yards, and they'll actually see where the bear shaft hits. They don't care, and that tells them they're tuned. So if they ever, let's say, are having troubles <laughs> with their bow, and they go, and let's say they just can't hit the broad side of a barn, they'll just go pick up the bear shaft and shoot it and see where it hits. And if it hits in the right spot, then they know, okay, the tune's still good. But if it hits wild, then they know that something ain't right. They don't care where it hits. Okay. They just want to know where it hits. So basically, sense. So, 
basically it's telling you, hey, there's something out of whack. Go back to the press or go back to. Yeah, whatever you got to do, you know, because okay. whether your draw length, let's say your string stretches and your draw length gets long, you're going to apply different pressures to that bow riser. You're going to be pulling different pressures. You're not going to get a bear shaft to hit in the same hole. If, you're, if your draw length comes back three-eighths of an inch longer, it's not going to hit the same hole. You're going to apply totally yeah. different pressures to the bow riser, to the grip. You're going to be, you know, I always tell people, if your draw length's long, if you notice that you're hitting <laughs> right a lot, more than likely your draw length is short because you're pulling on the back end so hard, you're pulling to the right side, if that makes sense. When you pull on a release, you're going to be hitting right if it's short. If you're hitting left a lot, your draw length is usually too long because you're putting so much pressure on the riser and you're pushing the shot left. Wow. So let me ask so, this then. How, how much could your draw length be off to really force that? Um, let's go short. I um, probably I, – I, well, let's put it this way. I just uh, – I had a Bowtech Reckoning set up for indoor season, and uh, – I went this last weekend and I shot absolutely horrible. I'm talking, I couldn't keep it down in the 10 ring to save my life. I was pulling out the top. I told my buddies, I was like, this bow feels light. I mean, I've been doing some, uh, a lot of the mountain ops supplements lately. So I was, I've been, you know, I was like, I feel really strong and it's a 60 pound bow. And I went home, I came home and I was so mad. I looked right at that ASA bow and I said, you know what? That thing feels so light. I'm going to shoot a 70 pound bow for spots. So I picked up a 70 pound bow and started tinkering with it. And uh, I went to the draw board and when you know it, my green one was three eighths of an inch short. And I really? was pulling out the top. I was pulling out the top of that 10 ring. I bet you I missed four tens more than I'd missed all year out the top. And I was, and the reason is when it was short is because when I was pulling on the back end, I was pulling that bow right out the top every single time, right out to the top and right. If it wasn't oh, out yeah. the right, it was out the top. And it was very, and I'm not, I'm talking, I was living at the top. I want the D loop the same. I want the everything. And I run a little bit longer D loop with, a, with, so I don't torque the string as much. Cause I, you know, if you turn your hand sideways vertical, it's, you're going to torque that D loop. If you have a very yeah. stiff D loop or a short D loop, you're just putting a twist on the string anyway. So yeah. I run a little bit longer D loop, put less torque on the string. Um, but yeah, it, so I don't think it takes much. I really don't. I can I don't have a for sure answer for okay. you. All I can tell you is if you're pulling out the top or to the right nine times out of 10, you're going to be short draw length or you're going to be pushing left. If you go long, I'd much rather a, shoot a, a long 27 and three. Yeah. I would much rather shoot a long draw length though, than a short draw by far. Really? Just cause I Man. Oh yeah. Just because, I mean, just like I said, it, I don't think you'll miss left as much, but I'm telling you, when you're when you're pulling, any movement you do whatsoever, like I said, you're putting that right in the bow. It's got to go somewhere. And if you can't just sit there and relax at the back of the draw, it's when you start to pull, it's going to pull you right out of the 10 ring or whatever it may be, you know, right away. You'll notice it. Wow. That's pretty slick. Well, so, we are right yeah. at an hour yeah we're going to bring up our final thoughts but i want again i can't stress this enough <laughs> I want people to understand if you listen to cam talk tonight 
and and we barely we i what i hate is we just talked for basically an hour and i feel like we barely scratched the surface i'm sure we got a bunch of people like rocking back and forth shivering in the shower or something but i mean this, this contemplating is, life when you listen to guys who compete though i feel like everybody should compete before they hunt because you learn how to shoot and you learn to pay attention to different little things that help you up your game and become a better archer so that way when you're in that moment you know you've got a bow that's shooting well and then you know there's a lot of people too that um you know, I've heard comments from guys like, oh, you know, that that guy who wins this or whatever, put a 180 in front of him. And, Dude, that guy's got ice water in his veins. Go stand in front of 150 people and be in a shoot off for a thousand oh, yeah. or $2,000 and come talk to me because I've shot big deer and I've shot in shoot offs. I've never been so nervous and I've never seen people so nervous in shoot offs. I shot against a guy that, he looked like a damn nervous wreck. Well, I, I mean, there's the difference there is it's it's you and the deer in the woods or you and the bird in nobody the knows. woods. <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody knows unless you want to tell somebody about it. Like everybody no, who's no. there knows. Or every <laughs> yeah, everybody's watching. You. Everybody. everybody doesn't believe. Everybody exactly. doesn't believe you, shoot, yep. you don't you know, you, you shoot 14 up whatever it may be at an IBO course and then you're in the shoot off and you start shooting and I did the same thing you know I last year at Lancaster man I shot I made the final eight and I went in at number eight and I it was like I'm telling you what you step up on that stage and all them cameras are around you and they're floating around you I mean you're you know you have lights on you you can't really see people because it's dark but you there, there is nothing you can do to even get your for that. You just be really strong. That's what I'm saying. No matter what, you got to execute the shot and forget the score. The score will battle yeah. out at the end, whatever it may be. If you don't give yourself a chance, you don't stand a chance to win anyway. So, if you want to go out there and piss down your leg and you know think every single <laughs> one, you ain't gonna win anyway. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yep. So back to the, the 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 main, you know, like you said, final thoughts. But like I said, you know, the left helical and everything, you if you fletch them left and everything like that, I guess the major thing I didn't touch on was you take one arrow and you I paper tune and I want that arrow to shoot a bullet hole at roughly seven yards. That's about what I go to. And I shoot it if I can get that arrow to shoot a bullet hole. Then after that arrow shoots a ball, I start taking each arrow one by one and shooting it through paper. And you'll find out real fast. And I'm sure you figured this out when you did this, Chris, that if they ain't coming out the bow the same every time anyway, they ain't going to hit the same down range. And you can literally make an arrow. That's why I really like the four fletch because it gives you another option on which vein you're going to use as your out cock vein or whatever it may be. Um, but I'm telling you right now, I can walk an arrow from a left tear to a right tear and then to a bullet hole just by spinning the knock and using different veins and finding that spine. And you would be amazed at how much you can, you know, I've had arrows shoot like an inch to the right, which is like the worst tear you can have, and then walk it right to the left and then spin it again and shoot a bullet hole. And if you do that every single one and you get them shooting a bullet hole, you're going to notice a big difference downrange because they're coming out mm -hmm. the bow the same and consistency that's, of course 
Oh man, that that to me is like the number one thing. I don't care what you run up front. If they ain't coming out the bow the same, they ain't gonna hit down range the same. That's just the you know, Tim Gillingham said that one day and he told you know, he was doing a video about it, and I was like, Oh my gosh, like I've never done that. And I just started watching arrows and I would have <clears> arrows, man. One shoot like before I did it, I would just have one arrow shoot a bolt hole, and then I'd have eleven arrows with a random tear, and they were everywhere. I mean, it was stupid the way it worked. So he's he's the guy who actually got me, kind of inspired me to build my own arrows because I kept going to these archery shops. And it's not, you know, a lot of these shops, it's no different than Dick's. It's some dude's buddy yeah. who couldn't shoot a bow or tune a bow to save his life, gluing fletchings on and, you know, gluing inserts in. And, uh, you know, he's not roughing up the inside, not roughing up the insert, not using good glue, not cleaning the arrow. And then you go to pull your your arrow with your extremely expensive components on it, pull it out of the target, and you're leaving a damn arrow blaster in there for somebody else to yeah. hit. Um, so he, I remember him talking. He was on a podcast. It was uh, um, the Gritty podcast uh, with Brian Call and um, – uh, Aaron, help me out. Snyder. Aaron Snyder, Kafaru. Um, he talked about how guys would number their arrows and all that. And he's like, Oh, yeah. Reach in and grab one. I have 12 amazing flying arrows. And I thought, <laughs> Yep. Oh, shit. Tim, okay. Tim Gillingham said, You should be able to pick up any arrow in your quiver and shoot it, and it should shoot the same. And that's when I was like, And then he started, I watched that video. And I'm telling you right now, I, I don't care who fletched your arrows or what, even if they do have a right a right fletch and you're spinning left. I'll guarantee you if you go and try and shoot them through paper and you get them to all shoot a bolt hole, you know, back in the day, you know, everybody shot two vein two veins with one cock vein. And they're like, well, how do you, how you know, and then, the, then it came around to all one solid flood color. And everybody's like, well, how do you know which one's your cock vein? Well, that's pretty easy to figure out. I mean, right. whether you put a number on it or whatever it may be, you know, like I know the gold tips, the knocks that I run have a little dash on the side of them. So I know that always has got to go to me, you know, yep. and I'll, once I get them shooting a bullet hole, then I'll go through and number them and go do that and everything like that. But I'll bet you, you know, 90% of guys, you know, that are amateurs or whatever it may be, if you just went and even if don't care how your arrows are flushed or not and shot them through paper and spun them until they shot a bullet hole, you're going <clears> to notice a huge accuracy increased uh, no mm -hmm. matter what arrow you run yep um you know and then you can get into it it's, it's kind of going down another downward spiral you know play with point weight point weight is huge breaking the spine down too much too much point weight up front is going to break the spine down too little you know you're basically throwing a rock with a parachute on the back trying to get it stabilized and throw it as far as you can you got to find that happy medium where the arrow is going to stay online for as long as you possibly can. You know, you when you when you throw when you were a kid and you want to throw an accurate rock, you don't go pick up the small rock and try and throw it accurately. You find the rock that fits in your hand that's got the right weight and it's round. And you know, because you know if that rock's flat, it's gonna as soon as you throw it in the air, it's gonna catch wind and it's gonna take off, spiral, whatever it may be. No, you always try to when you were a kid. You know, whether it be throwing the rock the furthest, the most accurate or whatever, you always found you knew what that perfect size rock was for yourself. And you always put that in your hand and you always tossed it to confirm it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, and, boys throwing rocks, man. Yeah. Yeah. So play well, with point weight. I'm, 
I mean, that's that's probably the biggest thing. You you'll notice a big difference in group too on the, in terms of that. Yeah. Well, Rick, I want to start you off with your. We always do like a concluder or whatever. So we'll let we'll let our Spanish student here. <laughs> <laughs> um. So first off, same as always, if you have the ability to get somebody in the outdoors uh, coming up, this is a good time to do it. Uh, obviously, you can take uh, someone to an archery shop. You can take them to learn how to shoot a bow in the off season and <clears throat> help them get ready for hunting season. It's also a great time to start getting out and uh, scouting for deer. Well, at least in Kentucky, it's it's uh, deer season closed. 17th, 16th, 16th, 16th is closed. So deer season's officially closed, but there's plenty of other opportunities. In, ter in terms of the conversation we've had, it's given me a lot to think about in terms of arrows and uh, the need to build arrows versus going to buy arrows. And, uh, you know, I, like you and I have talked about, Chris, um, I think you built my last set of arrows. And then I ran into the issue of <clears throat> I ended up I ended up doing something. I needed an extra half dozen arrows and they were, so I went to my archery shop, got, got the, got the half dozen and cock veins in a different spot than where we fletched everything. So, you know, trial and error, getting them tuned to where I needed to was, you know, quite a process and losing a couple in the process as well. So if you have the uh, chance uh, to build arrows with somebody, take the opportunity and go and do it. That's Amen. what I, that's what I would say, man. It's so I'm going to, okay. I'm going to let cam go. Yeah. I'm, I mean, don't be scared to be, do something different. That's the biggest thing. You know, uh, it doesn't matter what arrow you shoot, what bow you shoot, how you shoot it. If it works and it's accurate, I would take accuracy over how fast that arrow gets there and how slow it gets there over any day. Forgiveness for me is 90, probably 95% of my arrow. Because if it, the arrow does not hit where it's supposed to be, there ain't no point in being out there anyway. If you if you're if you got one arrow in your batch, you know, don't shoot it. Like do something different for it, you know, like uh I just heard a podcast this uh, from uh, PJ Riley talking about the new Bowtech. I'm sure you've seen Tim Gillingham in competitions. That dude will try anything. Yes, he will. No matter how stupid it is, <laughs> and he will go out there and win with it. And he even went as far as, and it was kind of mind-blowing, you know, he mm -hmm. went even as far as to run different stops on his bow last year because he was having dip-outs. He ran a Bomar stop on the top, which is a flatter stop. And it's a little more aggressive stop and a peg on the bottom. And it's just like, I've never even thought about doing that because, you know, so it may be stupid and it may look weird, but don't be scared to be different. Don't be scared to, you know, shoot, tinker a little bit and see what works best for you. Because I guarantee you, you're not going to pick an arrow up from somebody and it's not going to shoot. I can give you my arrows all day long and they're not going to shoot the best for you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you know, a shorter draw guy and everything like that. You're going to, you're going to get away with a little more point weight up front versus I am. And you're going to probably shoot a little slower, you know, but I got to slow the arrow. Everybody's like, well, you have a big advantage because you're drawing. Well, I have 
a disadvantage because I have to slow the arrow down so much because I put so much force behind the arrow that I have to get it to stabilize fast versus a short draw guy. He can prick pretty much any arrow up and he can tune it. So I got to put a decent amount of point weight up front and I got to shoot probably, I mean, I'm going to say nine times out of 10, I'm shooting a 200 spine arrow. I mean, I'm, wow, wow, yeah, I'm, I, I put a, a 250 spine pierce last year with 140 grains up front and I could not get the thing to fly. I went to 120 grains up front and it flew a lot better. Um, you know, like I said, slowing it down. And that's another whole thing, you know, vented broadheads versus non-vented broadheads. A vented broadhead's going to try, try to steer your arrow way more than a, like a iron will or, you know, a day six or something like that. Or anything that's wider is going to be just a steering it's basically like putting your hand out the window as wind goes by that it's going to whip around and everything like that. So don't be scared to tinker around and play with your point weights and don't go with always the fad of, you know, trying to get a 700 grain arrow through the shoulder of the deer. Cause you're probably not going to get it through the shoulder of the deer anyway. I mean, you may get, you know, one guy may get lucky every here and there, but shoot for accuracy, yep, put it right yes. behind the shoulder. Thank God. Put it where it belongs. Yes. And yeah forgive you know it doesn't matter how fast it gets there if the only thing that a guy that gets advantage of shooting 350 feet per second versus 310 feet per second like you said pin gap but he also can just miss faster yep yep none of that and most of the time he's probably not going to shoot as accurate as the guy shooting 310 feet per second or 300 feet per second anyway because it's yep. got such a violent bow you know like i said when i brought back the 90s and everything like that you know Everybody used to be able to throw a broadhead on the old four-inch vein before two-inch veins became a thing. You know, these guys shooting 70 pounds with these E-wheels and everything like that back in the day, like the PSEs and everything like that. It wasn't a big deal to have to freaking tune your broadheads because the arrow was going so slow and the arrow was stabilized. It never flexed. There wasn't enough pressure out there. I mean, bows are violent these days. They are. They're insane, dude. Yeah, they're... I'll I'll bring you guys this. I think that there's so you can be fortunate, have a buddy, you know, like myself. Got Cam here. I could probably call this dude whenever and just drill him with question after question. He'd probably fire off or answer most of them. But not a single human being will care about your setup, your your skills, your setup, everything as much as you. And the more you learn about how to tinker with your setup, whether it be buying a bow, a bow press and being really serious about it, or simply learning to build your own arrows and, and play with that and do what Cam was talking about, you know, where you walk the arrow from one side or the other, or, you know, top to bottom or whatever, um, you know, by using point weight, fletchings, et cetera. Uh, that that stuff improves you greatly and i would highly encourage people to just absorb all the knowledge you can uh not every podcast and youtube channel and everything is correct you know and i really don't i mean really i guess the best way that i know to to validate what cameron's saying is to show you pictures of the deer he's killed and then show him on the podiums i mean he's, he's no dumb dumb and clearly he okay. thinks about <laughs> archery just slightly so yeah. with that said don't be afraid to learn you know he talked about trying new things learn absorb 
absorb all of this. We live in a great time with access to a lot of information. There's literally no excuse to be a shitty archer. So yeah. be a sponge, not a brick. Yeah, you know, and yeah. Don't be scared well, to ask these guys questions because most of the time they're more than happy to help you. I mean, don't be scared because they're on TV and everything like that to go up and talk to them. I mean, I guarantee you, you walk up to Levi Morgan and I know this for a fact there's uh, you know, I, I shoot gold tip arrows and I've shoot for gold tip, but my buddy who's a nobody called gold tip cause he was struggling up and Tim Gillingham got on the phone himself and helped to help him. And he even said, you know, I don't care whose arrow you shoot. This ain't going to work what you're doing right now. And this is what you probably need to do. And you need to go this way. He's a shorter draw guy. He even went as far as told him, he's like, you know, you're shooting a 40 inch bow. That's too long. And he, my buddy kind of laughed at him. You know, he's like, it's a target bow. It's, uh, and he's like, you should be shooting like a 34, 35 inch bow. And when you know it, he's like, you don't argue with somebody who knows that much knowledge he's like i went started shooting a 34 inch 35 inch bow and he's like my accuracy went up he's like you know everything just don't just don't be scared to ask people because yeah. you know and tim is so good at helping people on the phone like i said you know he was a nobody and he picked you he he answered the phone and answered answer, asked questions you know these, these guys Paige pierce post these videos and tim yeah. gillingham and levi morgan and all them i mean do the people have done it you need to listen to them i mean that's just it now some things may not work for you that work for them like i said you know the whole disclaimer thing there's guys out there that will not shoot anything but a fixed broadhead yeah but and good good for them if that works for them but i can't get a fixed broadhead to fly as accurate as i want every single time so mm -hmm. you know that's pick and choose your battles and don't be scared to ask because a lot of people out there will help you no matter who they are. If they're famous, they're a pro, whatever it may be, they're more than likely going to help you anyway. I mean, they they love being asked questions like that. They don't and, put that stuff on their social media pages not to help people. Absolutely. And I'll say this much. You brought up Tim Gillingham. I sat there with Luke and him in the parking lot at the IBO World Championship, and we did what we're doing now. We literally just nerded out on archery and those guys yep. they're just a higher level of you so with what cam's saying you know not being afraid to talk to them they're just like you if you're if you're thinking about archery a good bit and trying to improve well guess who else is doing that <laughs> i mean they yeah. and, and it's one thing when when one guy wants to get better you see that or, or a girl whatever you see it and you know when they ask questions all you want to do is help them as much as you can it's it's a great community yeah. to be in, honestly. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, it is. I mean, yeah, I guarantee you, you know, there's a couple guys out there that are, you know, kind of get annoyed by it, but 99% of them, dude, are more than happy to help you. Um, just, you know, watch videos. Videos are huge. Don't don't watch a video, you know, of an average Joe Blow telling you, you got to do this, you got to do that, you know. The guys who have done it, like I said, Tim Gillingham's got a great set of videos and uh on and like gold tips and everything like that and what he does for arrows um levi morgan's got a great set of videos and if you struggle in target panic at all watch his videos on beating target panic and do what he says and you know he's like he said everybody has target panic i don't care who you are 
everybody's got some form of target panic and if they don't have target panic at that time they're going to get target panic sooner or later one one shape or another and there's many different kinds of target panic that you can get involved in whether it be movement you know not even being able to get the pin on the target whatever it may be and but they'll they're more than welcome to help you out i mean and like you said how many people have called and asked on the page and everything like that you know what works best and everything like that people are more than usually ready to help you out oh yeah dude well listen brother i really appreciate you giving us your time and uh i want to do this again relatively soon and we might even um we might even try to have you down or i'll come up your way or something and do an in-person one so we can have really really crisp audio and have a beer in the process yeah, um, one of these days we're gonna we're gonna have to go down there and hunt some coyotes, man. I, man, we we got to make it happen because you seem to be quite into it, and uh, we've got a buddy on the team <laughs> all the way from Indianapolis to take me yeah. coyote. We didn't see a coyote. <laughs> Primo Farms. Now there's it was stuff with the moon and all this shit. That they oh talk. yeah, it was I, a downward spiral. I haven't quite figured it out, but I'm starting to dig it more than almost deer hunting, man, just because. Everybody oh, wants coyotes dead. They do. Yeah, it, that is, you know, I, I think you could probably get into some solid permission properties just by slipping in by hunting coyotes. Oh, yeah. So I've only um, ever had one person tell me no. Wow. How, yeah, how many? I, I don't want to keep you too long, but how many properties do you have to coyote hunt? I've lost track. Let's put it that way. Nice. nice. Wow. It, but, so, yeah. Yeah. I right. mean, it's. Well, let's yeah, try. It's, let's try to get together in like a Feb. They mate in February, so why don't we try to get together? You can come down here. I can come up your yeah. way. Whatever you want to do, and we'll make. One of these weekends, we'll have to. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, uh, fully Alabama's last weekend in February. So if I can get down there like the first or third week or something like that, we can okay. sit down there and get together okay. and try and shoot some. And hopefully the weather cooperates because it is not cooperating right now. Yeah, I feel you there, dude. Well, brother, I appreciate you as always, and uh, I'll be in touch. All right. Yeah. Cam, th- Cameron, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Guys, it's been Fueled by the Outdoors. We've been your host, Chris. Uh, <laughs> we've been your host, Chris Leppert and Rick Cates. And we've been joined tonight by Cameron Freed. Guys, talk to you later. Bye.